does your wealth align with your values? In what ways does your wealth affect your decision-making? How does wealth impact your family dynamics? These are the big questions we'll help you answer on your road to wealth savviness. Join Amar Shah and his guest experts in the Savvy Wealth Podcast as they share insights and stories to help align your wealth with your values and family dynamics. Hello and welcome to another podcast with Amar Shah. This is the Savvy Wealth Podcast. Now, today we're going to talk about families. Now, you might think, oh, every financial advisor really works with families, but that's not the case. And in fact, unless you have a specialized focus in working with families, not just the primary breadwinner and their spouse, there is some technique involved. And Amar is going to talk about how he approaches the idea of working with families because don't you as a wealthy individual want to make sure that your wealth lasts for a little while, uh, at least three, maybe four even generations? And we're going to dive into some of that today. So Amar, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, the first question that I have is how do you begin the conversation, man? This is, to me, the, the crux of everything because a lot of financial services professionals are terrified to even begin this conversation because they don't know where it's going to end. Right. So there's three parts, I would say, in in starting the conversation. First, I think we need to understand why we need to have the conversation. And one out of nine large estates have litigation. So that is a a big motivating factor, not to have that family harmony. The second thing in that is that we want the money to continue down the bloodline. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that desire and say, hey, I'm dead, the kids can do whatever they want now, well, then we don't really have a why we need to have this conversation. The second part is the parents have to be ready to tell their kids that they have a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, wow, that could be eye-opening, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, let's be honest. Kids get used to the lifestyle that, that parents are providing, and so I don't think it's a secret. In fact, I got a funny story. One time I was working with this executive, at uh, a large corporation, I said, well, have you told your kids that you guys have significant money and wealth? And they said, no, they, they don't have a clue. And I was like, really? I'm like, do you have private jets that you're flying, uh, family vacations <laughs> include an island? I said, well, have you ever Googled your name? <laughs> and he's like, well, not, not really. And I took my laptop and I turned it around. I had him Google his name. The second link that comes up is his total compensation package. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> so, so it, you know, like a lot of this stuff is as private as we try to make our lives. If you're working for a fortune 500 company, a lot of this stuff is already public. Yeah. I would say kids or children really don't know till they know that there's a, it's kind of like a balloon. The larger the balloon gets, the more that they don't know. Hmm. Uh, it definitely has to be a point in time where the parents, either the matriarch or patriarch of the family, feels comfortable letting their children know. Now, when it comes to beginning this conversation, you actually have uh, like some parts involved with this. So let, let's talk about where you start with the conversation. Yeah, and, and that's exactly where I was going to go. So the third part, the final part of this, is that we start with the values exercise. In the values exercise, what we're trying to identify is what do the children find valuable? Like, what are their values? And then we frame that with a goals-based exercise and say, what are your goals? 
we do that because then we can see, hey, this is what they find important in life and then what's they what they value, and then here's what they want to accomplish in life. And then we try to mirror those two together and we then we ask questions around what are they doing to make that a reality? And sometimes we from there we go down the path. And it's every family's different. So I don't want to say this is the conversation structure that's sure. true for every family, but eventually you get to the point where you ask the children. Where do you see your parents' wealth in this picture? Or or how do you see your parents' wealth influencing your ability to do these things? Hmm. And if you didn't have the ability to do these things that you value and achieve, then we also go into a detail of asking, if you knew you had the ability to do all these things, what would you do to protect it? Because there's a lot of, once you get the positive feedback, you also have to say, hey, these are things that are going to come in your way. And, and these could be, uh, and just joking here, saying in-laws, outlaws, sure, <laughs> predators, sure. uh, and so forth. So, like, you know, there's a lot of people that when they see money, make you a target. And, and we want to make sure that the kids understand or the children understand that there are things that they need to do. There are decisions that they need to make to protect the money. Some of it is making sure the money that's in a soul and separate trust stays in a soul and separate trust. Over time, there are going to be other people that influence your children. And we want to make sure that they have a, a good sounding board to get back to what's important to them, what are their values, and what are their goals. The second part is in this conversation, mind you, this is a family conversation. So mom and dad are there hearing their children's responses. As I turn to the parents and say, well, how do you see your wealth helping your children? You, you'll get a range of responses. And I, and I think the, the biggest thing here is to open up the family to have that dialogue. And it's a process. That first dialogue is not going to be perfect. Some people may get their feelings hurt. Some people say, hey, this is the worst idea. But what I found is the second and third meeting is really when the conversation becomes, all right, how do we as a family make this happen? And so what we try to do is kind of framework a one-page document that kind of says, like, these are the core values. This is what we our intentions are for mom and dad. This is what we want to see you do with these funds, as well as these are what your values were and your goals. And so make sure that there's alignment there. Well, I think it's interesting, Amar, because, you know, you just, at the beginning of this podcast, you said one out of nine large estates have litigation. And if you don't have these conversations, these conversations are going to spark the different pieces of legal documentation that one needs in order to successfully set up this wealth transfer. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, one of the things that we've heard in, in the research that you've done and that I've done in preparing for today's podcast is the difference between fair and equitable. Let's talk about that because this is really powerful. Understandably, every individual, every family situation is unique. And there are certain circumstances when fair does not necessarily mean equal. I know there's a lot of overlap, but there are certain circumstances where that could probably not, not have the same meaning. There are a couple of things that I would say here. The first thing I would say is that I don't define what is fair and what is equal. It has to come from the family because it's you know their wealth. They have to decide what they mean by that. But maybe what I can do is give some examples of what fair is not necessarily equal. I would love for you to give some examples. That'd be great. So let's t- let's talk about the children first. 
you know, the children could have polarizing jobs. I had one family where one child was uh, a state ranger and the other child was a doctor. And so their taxable brackets are totally different. So even if they both got, you know, let's just say $2 million from an IRA, well, one's going to be have most of that go away in taxes while the other would not. You could have, you know, let's say you have two children and one of those children have kids. So you have grandkids, but the other child does not have any grandkids. Um, you could have children that have, you could have one sibling that has a disability. And then, you know, if we forward that to saying there are blended families and that provides a whole different layer of dynamics, uh, some kids, you know, especially with business owners or, or family businesses, there may be one or two children that are actively involved in the business and the rest have no desire to join the family business or they're involved, but they don't move the needle as much as some of the other children. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking of these off the top of my head here, and I'll maybe just end with this one, is that you could have two children, one circumstance, you may be helping one child while they're alive because they need the funds now, whereas your other child does not. But then at passing, do those assets split 50-50? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, some of them have taken lifetime gifts that you need to account for or you may want to account for over a period of time. And that's all part of the, the calculations that you're going to help them through because a lot of people aren't going to see that perceived equitable and fair aspect of it, right? Right. Now, family dynamics to me is one of the most fascinating things about what you do, Amar, and one of the things that it does really take a very careful and systematic approach. What sort of family dynamics are discussed in your process here? Right. So the family dynamics range through various different pieces. I would say that historically, when you have a matriarch or patriarch that has a lot of wealth, decision-making and thought process is usually top-down. And so that would create some family dynamics, not to say there's resentment or there's trust issues, but there are family dynamics where you would say, if one child, or let me rephrase this, if your children were to win the lottery today, who would spend the first dollar? Hmm. What an interesting question. And and so then you can get into habits and see how, all right, well, hey, we know Johnny. Johnny spends a lot of money, and by five years, uh, he probably wouldn't have anything left. Well, so there's some family dynamics there that are you okay with Johnny spending large chunks of your funds? And and so the, the questions start there. It would also go into what would your fears be if, your children inherited a lot of money, what would be the best case scenario or how, how would the best case scenario be for your children that inherit a lot of money? And then, you know, even within family dynamics, typically you, you may have an older sibling that, that takes a lot more responsibility than the other siblings. But one of my clients, they live in Singapore and in the U.S. and they travel back and forth. And part of their family dynamics is a situation where if the husband were to pass away, mom would move back to the U.S. Hmm. But if the wife were to pass away, 
the husband would stay in Singapore. And so there's a lot more details into those type of family dynamics that need to be flushed out. Sure, sure. When I think of families, I, I think of uh, not just uh, your immediate children, but your grandchildren and potentially your, your great-grandchildren. How do you help families not just pass down their wealth, but pass down their values gener- to generations that aren't even here yet, necessarily? That's a great question. Most of this is done through estate planning. And there are different avenues that you can take through estate planning to accomplish some of these goals. One example is uh, if you are terribly inclined and you want your kids to, your children to continue to give back to the community. One of the things that we've seen is the use of donor advised funds. So donor advised funds allows that charitable intent to continue past your lifetime. I, I once uh, worked with a family where one of their core values was hard work and making sure that their children continue to work regardless of wealth. And so in their trust documents, one of the things that we considered is setting up a W-2 matching trust in the sense that whatever your take-home income was at the end of the year, the trust, mom and dad's money, would match that Hmm. up to a certain point. So it provided incentives to continue working. If your child has a $100,000 a year job, they're going to be able to take another $100,000 out of the trust. Another thing that, that we come across uh, quite frequently is uh, family homes or vacation homes. You know, you can use a qualified personal residence trust and gift uh, family houses into those type of trusts to keep it within the family and uh, keep harmony. Because if you were to gift it outright, you know, some of your children may not want the house. Some sure. may. The ones that may, some of them may not be able to afford to keep the house. And, and, and so like in San Diego, we have Coronado Island and Coronado Island before the Coronado Bay Bridge was built. You know, there were houses that were that were sold for about you know, 30 to 50 thousand dollars. Now you fast forward to today, those same houses are worth four to five million dollars. And so that cost basis is very low. We're looking at a family that if their kids were to inherit that house, would they have the means to pay for a four to $5 million house or would they rather have the cash? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, th- there's a lot of ways to pass down values. One of the things is that you have to have a conversation from that conversation through estate planning. There's more than one way to get the end result uh, accomplished. I know you're not an estate planning attorney. But you have an enormous amount of experience when it comes to this. Why is it so important for somebody to have somebody like you in their corner working with an estate planning attorney? I strongly believe the wealth manager is the best person to give you continued advice. And, and, and I think that's for, for three reasons. And, and the first reason is let's look at your attorney and CPA. Your attorney does a good job at producing documents. But the number one problem with estate planning is that trusts go unfunded or underfunded. And I've seen this all the time, and especially with ultra high net worth people that move from state to state. You know, your documents need to be updated, and they also have to be um, 
to make sure that you have you know different languages from, from different states as well as making sure the assets are actually in the trust. Estate planners do a good job at creating documents that are current in today's law, but things change and you need to get those updated. And, and there's no proactive approach that I've seen uh, from attorneys to get that done. I'm not bashing attorneys. I'm just saying that's just the nature of the business is that once they create a document, then they're moving on to the next client. Yeah. Um, CPAs do a great job. You know, I work a lot with CPAs, but they're looking at how do you reduce the taxable consequences today? They're not looking at it for over the next 10 years. How do we reduce your tax burden? Or how do we make sure your family as a whole pays less taxes over the next 10, 15 years? The second thing I would say is that assets change. Um, asset values change. So if you're doing like a, a gifting strategy where you're gifting low, low basis stock into a trust to get it out of your estate and go to your children's estate, what if that stock goes up? <laughs> it, well, it, it did what it was supposed to do. But what if it goes down? And that and that's an, another planning opportunity to redo that trust. Now, an estate planner is not going to know if the stock goes up or down. A CPA is not going to know, it's not tracking if the stock goes up or down. And this is true for family businesses, for you know, a lot of other assets that, that somebody would hold, like real estate, et cetera. The third reason, I think the wealth manager is the best person to kind of navigate this conversation. We see a, a lot of assets get spent down over a period of time. And so we need to create projections and reproject, you know, where do we think we are? And based off the current tax law, because the tax law changes. You know, right now we're okay till 2026, but then it's going to be different again. To protect children, to protect spending down of assets, we want to get a process where we have an ongoing conversation, not just a one and done. Or one of my children has... Uh, has said something rude to me and I'm going to disinherit them and I'm going to redo all my trust documents. It's, it can't be an event driven thing. It has to be episodic where it's on an ongoing basis. Well, thank you. Thank you for asking that because this next piece is, I think so vital when it comes to this big picture relationship with the family that you're talking about, which is 85% of wealth does not get passed down to the third generation. How do you as a family advisor help keep that wealth viable over multiple generations? We use a generation skipping trust. No. <laughs> <laughs> you just can skip them all together. <laughs> but uh, so getting back to your question, I, the way we do this is, is in two ways. One is that we add structure around the trust to protect the kids, you know, with the successor co-trustee or a co-trustee that's a third party. And the second thing is education is making sure the children understand how money works, uh, what money does for them, creating a financial plan that lists their values and their goals and align their decision-making based off of their values and goals. All right, let's, uh, let's start wrapping today's uh, podcast up, talking about you know, working with families as a financial services professional and as a financial planner. Do you have any closing thoughts, Amar, about uh, kind of what we talked about today? Yeah, so in closing, I would say parents, uh, matriarch, patriarch have to be ready to have that conversation. And they have to have a desire to leave harmony within the family. I would say that 
Having this conversation provides context to your decisions and helps your children develop an understanding of the reasoning behind the choices that you've made. Uh, it helps remove the element of surprise at a place where people are fairly emotional. It would also, I, I would say, creates a form for those initial feelings to be dealt with in, in the sense that the first meeting is not going to be perfect. It doesn't get perfect till the second or third meeting where, where children start to understand, children start to communicate their interests, their concerns. And it provides, by doing this, you provide ongoing family unity and harmony after death. Well, thank you very much, Amar, for taking time to walk us through the family dynamics of multi-generational family planning. Thank you. Now, if you know somebody, if you are one of the children of a matriarch and patriarch, and you think they should hear this podcast, it's very, very easy to share it with them by just typing in their email address or tagging them in social media and sending this to your mom and dad, because this is a conversation that is going to have to happen. And as Amar just said, it's super important for this conversation to happen at a neutral time, not when emotions are high, not when something tragic happens. And if you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. That way, every time Amar comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. For everybody at Client First Capital and the Savvy Wealth Podcast, this is Matt Halloran, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thank you for listening to the Savvy Wealth Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember, investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Client First Capital LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Client First Capital LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Client First Capital LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.